Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, I'm uh, officially back in person after COVID, but yeah, we're not in person for, this for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it has it has been a journey. Um, I was I was fine, but uh, it's good to be back out and about. Um, it's a lot easier to communicate in person, which is great with the team. And right. We're going to, you know, be we ought to do a podcast on communication. We what really should. Uh, let me see. Hang on it, just right? a minute. Let me see <laughs> if I can think of anybody to bring in. Hey, anything, you know, since we haven't seen each other for a couple of weeks, uh, anything going on in your life? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Lots anything going on. Interesting? Uh, baby's coming this weekend. Ooh. Hey, so. You don't know if it's a boy or a girl either, do you? Don't know. So it's going to be if a surprise. If it's a boy, what's the name going to be? Probably Martin. We I have there to go with go. Martin. That, okay. Yeah. That's all I want to know. <laughs> um, well, since we're on the topic of communication, wink, wink, uh, let's go ahead and welcome Chris Zuris to the, to the podcast. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Great. We're, we're fantastic. We're really excited to have you on and... Uh, we have a lot to learn about communication, Martin and I, uh, but I know a lot of contractors do. Do you know anything about like contractor communication? Have you had to deal with a contractor at all? Um, you know what? I've dealt with contractors. I did a little bit of roofing, if you can call it that for a little bit. Okay. <laughs> uh, that was a, a short stint. Um, so I'm not very talented in that regard. So <laughs> that's okay. Uh, that's yeah, all right. There's, but, but a, there's a lot bit, of a there's a lot of stigma around contractors and their communication. So Absolutely. I think uh, if anybody needs to learn a thing or two, me and my me and Martin do, but also contractors do as well. Chris, yeah. maybe uh, share us a little bit about your background. Where are you from, and uh, how did you get to where you are today? I am uh, from the Promised Land, Oklahoma, man, just like you. So uh, I love it here. I. I grew up in Bartlesville, went to Norman, to the University of Oklahoma. Okay. And okay. Uh, I um, worked on a ranch. I'll tell you an interesting story. So after I finished college, my dad said, you need to go to grad school. And uh, I was like, man, I'm finished with school. Done with school. And, <laughs> yeah. And we did this back and forth. And he was really smart. And I was young, dumb, and full of bubble gum. And I had a job lined up in Norman in the fall. And he goes, what are you doing this summer? And he goes, let me get you a job for a while. Well, his best friend worked at a ranch in Pahuska, Oklahoma. And my MO in college was to um, sleep as late as I could, jam my classes in. I, I was an athlete. I did that and, and then kind of do that all over. Well, I graduated. And my dad got me a ranch. His best friend operated a ranch in Pahuska that was 23,000 acres. And uh, my job was uh, to shovel manure. Um, so <laughs> that's I would been my there. job for about 40 years. Yes. <laughs> yeah. that's right. So I would wake up every morning while it was still dark and I'd shovel manure. And the guy said to me, hey, these stalls haven't been cleaned out. Um, in probably five or six years, I want you to take them to the bedrock. So I'd be shoveling and sweating. I'd look at my watch and think, man, it's got to almost be time for lunch. And it'd be like 8, 11. And uh, <laughs> so needless to say, after my stint at the ranch, I went to grad school to study. <laughs> I'm sure you so, did. So my dad, uh, my dad helped me with that one. That's great. What did so you I study studied, at OU? Um, I studied finance at OU. And okay. uh I worked in a bank at, uh, after my junior year and figured out, man, I'm I'm not very good at this and I don't like this. <laughs> and uh, then I studied communication at Wheaton College. Um, and I got a job doing fundraising for a while. And okay. that's been a what big for? portion of, of my career. Yeah. What, what were you fundraising for when you started? Yeah, I was fundraising for a Christian sports camp for urban kids. They would come from all oh, over the yeah. country to um, southwest Missouri to Table Rock Lake and have a, an unbelievable experience. And 
And it's where I really learned, honestly, a lot of interpersonal communication because my job was to go meet with donors all over the country. And uh, so I really enjoyed that. And then um, I did some other fundraising, lost a job in fundraising, and um, then kind of slowly began a coaching, teaching business really centered around communication and leadership. And that's, that's where we are today. Excellent. Yeah. Hey, uh, you said you were an athlete at OU. What did you, uh, what did you do? I, I mostly sat the bench. Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I played tennis at Oklahoma. Okay. So, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. My, uh, my best friend was played tennis at OU, uh, under John Roddick and then, uh, yeah. was the assistant coach there for a little bit. Uh, his wow. name's Nick Pavick. Yeah. Yeah. So I know Nick's cool. name. Okay, yeah. cool. Did you, uh, I think you're probably younger, but did you know a man named Mark Gerking played Absolutely. tennis at OU? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Ride bikes with him. See him a lot. Uh, that's good. I know that's he's cool. a little bit older than I am. Yeah. I was and, saying, yeah, I think he's older. <laughs> and he's far more talented. Both those guys you mentioned are, uh, are far more talented and, and one's a little older, one's a little younger. Yeah, you look like you could still play for sure. <laughs> well, so so why did you decide to study communication? What was that like? I mean, obviously we know the story of the manure, but what landed you on that communication? Uh, From finance. Yeah. You know, I've always really been intrigued by the ability to make an emotional connection with people. I think is probably mm. the best way to define it. You know, communication kind of has three legs of a stool. And the first would be a cognitive leg where there's information and the information goes out. The second leg would be kind of a behavioral leg. And that would be one where I I tell you something and I want you to do something. And and I think if there's a stigma for contractors, it would be that, that here's the information, you go do it. But great communication has a third leg that's especially important in today's world. And it's, it makes a three-legged stool. A two-legged stool doesn't stand very good. And the third leg is an, is an emotional one. And, and it's one mm-hmm. where people make a connection between each other. Um, and so those three things uh, really comprise things. And I, I've always been intrigued by the ability of a speaker to hold an audience and the, yeah. ability, excuse me, the ability of people to really make connection interpersonally. Yeah, for sure. It's so interesting. Um, so I, I coach soccer in the Springs with kids that really need to learn how to communicate. And so much of, you know, we'll be doing a drill and they're like, yeah, pass the ball. And <laughs> you can't just say something. Your body language is everything. When the kid check, like asks to, for the pass and is like running t- with all of his might and like really expressive, he's going to get the ball. You know, people are going, oh, yeah, I need to pass in the ball. He really wants it, you know, and it's the same thing in in the workplace. I think oftentimes some of our communication is so passive and we don't let our body language or even just the emotion, like you had mentioned, really come across in a way that is representative of what we actually mean uh, or what we want. And so anyways, just a thought there. Um, what, you know, Chris, with that, uh, with that the first thing, the first leg of the stool you said was cognitive. Yes. Can sir. you, can you develop that a little bit? What, I mean, I understand the denotation. What's the connotation to that? What, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, you know, think about, uh, pulling up to a car wash, right? I, I was, walking behind a car wash one day and I, I saw this sign and I, I think it exemplifies it pretty well, Martin. And it's, you know, the car wash sign says, put your car in neutral, take your hands off the steering wheel, lower your antenna, get your foot off the brake. Okay. And it gives you just data and it's just information. And so your behavior on the other side of that is, okay, I do that. So it, it, it's simply just data that is given to us. And in this day and age, we have so much data that's coming at us that we can't process it all. And nor do we want to process it all. And so our ability to really combine those three legs is, is really important for a contractor to be in great communication with his customers 
and, and frankly, in great communication with his employees, because it's hard to find good employees. Yeah. And, and 70% yeah. of retention rests on the manager, which is often the foreman or whatever that is. So. Yeah, for sure. It's so interesting because uh, I think this will probably resonate a little bit with people too, but you had mentioned this car wash and I've actually seen people on their phone while looking at those instructions and kind of pulling up and they don't get the cognitive done because yeah. they're on their phone. And I think a lot of contractors recognize that with some of their employees that they're maybe on the job site or they may be going driving the truck and they're on their phone. And that's one of the biggest distractions right now. How does how do you feel like technology has uh, hindered maybe the cognitive communication for not for people in general, not for just health. contractors or employees? Yeah, I mean, exactly right, Martin. I think there's two sides of that. And, and Khalil, you point out wisely, I actually called Martin back yesterday. Martin called me. I was here. Um, I had just finished an event and I had lunch and I needed to run home, but I noticed that he'd called twice. And so I called him. I wanted to say, hey, I'm in and I'm sorry I hadn't communicated with you because I've been out of town. But I didn't set up things at all. And I, in my communication with him, I drove home. I started looking at the mail. I'm on the phone. And then I could tell he was like, this guy's totally distracted. Martin was being polite. And he was like, I got to get off. And I just recognized, you know, we're all so guilty. We're so busy yeah. that I, I really tried to do a good thing, but I got distracted by other things. And, and Martin felt it. And then I felt it later. And I was like, I was just frankly rude. So a phone needs to be a situation that is, it makes a great tool and a terrible master, you know? Mm. And, and so I should have, and I tell my kids this with their phone or anybody with their phone, people that we coach, you know, whatever you're doing, be all there. And yeah. our phones have become a device where we're not all there. And it's a, it's a terrible distraction. Um, yeah. The other side of the coin is that it has so empowered us to communicate quickly and efficiently yeah. and frankly get a lot of messages out that are vital. So it's just like anything else. If we have a great balance with it, it can be a great tool for us. Yeah. yeah I'm glad, glad that you mentioned that. I have a, a little mental checklist I run through when I meet with my clients uh, because I have to check out of everything else. But I mm -hmm. tell myself I have to be present, I have to be congruent, and I have to be specific. Mm -hmm. So I'm listening to you right now. All these other things are going to happen, but not for the next hour. I have to be congruent. That's a little outside of communication, but I have to practice what I preach. And then when we're finished, I have to be specific, do this, which I hope uh, we will at the end of this too, a little bit of specificity, but I'm, I feel reinforced by what you said. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, we, you mentioned the phone and I think for the, for the average contractor, I mean, I can't, I can't count how many times I've talked to a contractor on the job site, on top of a ladder, working on the job on the phone. And I think there is a lot of power in it and it's probably the only tool a lot of contractors don't actually have a computer or use the computer you know and i think that is their computer these days and it's really changed the landscape for contractors in many ways but it's funny because the stereotype for contractors is that they don't pick up the phone and i know a handful of contractors that if you look through you know on your iphone you can go through the history of the calls you've gotten right and i might be able to go back to you know today's thursday i might be able to go back to sunday of looking at those calls. And it's not actually, the history is not based on days. It's based on how many calls you have. Well, I'll look through my friends. He may not be able to get through the end of the day because of how many calls they're getting from subs, from vendors, from customers. What are the challenges that you see whenever there's too much communication going on? And what is that actually, what are the impacts of that? Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm going to answer this question exactly. I'm going to try to That's okay. kind of steer toward a, Sure. Potentially a prescriptive thought. But, you know, I, I think, again, related to distractibility, um, 
we're, we're so pulled in so many ways that I often do many things poorly yeah. instead of several things well. Mm. And for a contractor to say, you know what, I've got a train load of work to do. I'm going to climb up on this roof and from nine to 10, I'm going to be fully engaged with getting this done. But from, from 10 to 1045, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go to my truck. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. And I'm going to return the calls I need to. And I'm going to delete the ones that I don't. I'm going to respond to the messages that I can. And I'm going to go back up on my job. And, and I'm going to be engaged with my team yeah. that's on the roof with me or whatever. And, and I'll do that again for another hour and a half. And, and I think that sort of mentality, frankly, makes us better. Because we have the ability to destroy relationships with important yeah. clients by our distractibility. And um, th there's a great book. It, it's sort of a, uh, I don't know what the right word is exactly. It's a little bit um, not too scholarly for those that study sure. emotional and social intelligence at its depth. But there's a great book called The Charisma Myth by Olivia Fox Cabane. And in it, she talks about in interpersonal communication, really leaning into your toes. And it's a, it's a concept that, that as I have thought about it and enacted it, it's really true. Because when I'm not leaning into my toes, I'm distracted and I'm everywhere. But when I'm really leaning in, I'm, as you said, Martin, you know, really engaged with, with what I'm doing at that particular time. Right. Yeah. And what was the charisma net? Charisma myth. 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 Oh, oh. We'll put it in the show notes. But what's a just a, a teaser on it? Like what 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 would you if you had to put it on an index card? What 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 did you get out of the book mainly? I know you mentioned a little bit, but if someone wants going to go and read that, uh, what would they be getting out of it? Well, she emphasizes three things: power, warmth, and presence. And um, mm -hmm. power can be defined a lot of different ways. Um, it can be intellectual power, it can be uh, physical power, it can be a variety of different things. Um, yeah. So power comes a lot of different ways. Um, so there's power, presence would be defined just like we were talking about, about truly, truly being present in the moment. Um, yeah. uh, honestly, I forgot what the third one I told you at this point. Yeah. Warmth. Warmth. Yeah. So warmth would be defined as, you know, truly being as well, somebody that cares about somebody else. And, and a lot of those things overflow pretty well. But yeah, um, those are the three things. And uh, interestingly, just from a from a story standpoint, when we meet somebody Neuroimaging tells us, and Olivia Fox Cabane talks about this, the two things that we gauge in a person is their power and their warmth. So mm. are they powerful enough to do good or bad to us? Mm. And are they good or bad, basically? Are they powerful enough to help us or hurt us? And are they good or bad? And uh, I'll never forget, I, I was walking down a corridor in, at dusk and it was outside in the fall. On one side were all these doors, and the other side was just a sloping kind of gravel, and there was a sidewalk. And, and coming against me was this enormous dude. I mean, he was gigantic, and it was dark. And, and uh, so I'm, you know, I'm built like a tennis player, so <laughs> we'll just go with that, all right? So he's got leather and chains and tattoos, and it's me and him, and I'm like, man, this, he's got power over me and uh hopefully he's nice because so we're walking toward him and i'm trying to get as big as i can and drop my voice an octave or whatever and and uh i say to him you know hey how are you and and he looks down at me and he says i'm doing peachy how are you <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> his, his warmth didn't match yeah. uh, his power to me it was really warm but it uh it didn't fit all that i i had expected from his his power presence if you will so yeah that's funny you know I, i'm thinking about um just kind of 
how we got to this, uh, you know, power and presence and warmth with through the book, but just how difficult that is to ha- embody all those things and be really engaged all the time, especially when there's a million things running on your mind. And something that Martin and I talk a lot on this podcast about is just the value of having one systems for yourself, but also for your managers, for your employees, lines of communication, and just really defining roles on the team through your org chart and uh, through the job descriptions you have, those kinds of things. If you don't have those things in place, this is you're you're probably not going to get the other things right unless it's just natively who you are. Uh, you're going to have to be so intentional with that that you're probably going to fail in some of the other areas that are also important in business, uh, like being organized and getting things done, because it is a full time thing. What do you usually recommend to business owners, uh, to really busy individuals, of actually practicing this in a in a, uh, I guess, a tangible way, realistic way. Yeah, Khalil, are you talking about systems and things like that? Is that what you well, mean? Well, no, it really just how do you just actually embodying those three tenets of, you know, the mm-hmm. power, the presence, like how can they actually effectively do those things? Yeah. You know, it really is like any skill. Um, it's practice. And frankly, yeah. it's discipline. Um, and I would probably, for me, I tend to be all over the board. And so um, using one of the greatest lines I've ever heard reflects to our toes and our torso. Hmm. And uh, Interesting. Yeah. So our tor- toes and our torso tell our audience everything about our engagement. Wow. Everything. So the door for me is right here. Okay, so if my toes and my torso are pointed toward the door, then my audience knows this guy's already checking out. Yeah. Um, And Martin picked that up from the clanging of my mailbox and everything yesterday. So it's it's another it's another kind of reminder to our audience. The, The number one rule in communication is who's my audience. And, and we have to come up with a value system that says when people encounter me, they are my priority. It doesn't mean I can't say to them, hey, I would love to talk to you, but I can't right now. Can I sit down with you in 15 minutes when I can give you all of my presence and be completely warm yeah. and use my power to build you up, not to not to lord over you? But our toes and our torso tell that whole message. If my toes and my torso are pointed exactly at my audience, they know they've got my full attention and they know that I am there and I'm engaged and I'm present. And so that's one small little tip of practice that is a, a simple tip, but, but I have to, I find myself making new turns to go back to toes and torso because somebody will talk to me and I go, I walk about four or five steps and I realize, you know what, this is very important to them. It's not important to yeah. me right now, but it's important to them. And I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm not going to multitask and I'm going to circle back and give this person my toes and my torso so that they've got all of me. I love that. Um, yeah toes and torso because that's something i can remember i do a lot of speaking and 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 i really love it so i don't think i have a problem with that but i'm going to pay attention Uh, i'm pretty (laughs) passionate about but really kind of what you're talking about are skills that can be learned and i think what i'm hearing in here that maybe you can develop a little more is communication i don't know what the percentage is i throw out numbers like 90 percent of your communication is nonverbal. you know 10 percent is what you say the rest of it is your body language and toes and torso and the emotion your, your tone. voice. Maybe you could talk a little bit about those, uh, their relative impact on your communication. Yeah, there was a, there was a researcher at a UCLA named Albert Morabian. And uh, he came up with some, some similar thoughts, Martin, about what percentage of communication was nonverbal that and he kind of backed he kind of you know crawdaded about his his answer later 
but I think you're right. A vast majority of what we communicate is non-verbally. Um, and, you know, in today's world, people are struggling. Um, there's more stress on people. You know, Gallup did some research and found that people are 10% more worried and 10% more stressed than they were. And this was early, this is more than a year ago. And it's gone up since then, I'm sure, just based on what's going on, um, not just with the pandemic, but, but everything else surrounding the pandemic now, surrounding yeah. our economy, surrounding you know things like Afghanistan in our world. And, and so our presence to our employees and frankly, even our customers is more important than ever. And I'm mm. going to get a little soapboxy here for a sec. But uh, <laughs> so Cigna did some research and found that 60 percent of Americans would identify as lonely. Um, the Center for American Studies, I think it is, I may have this one wrong, came out about three weeks ago with a study that said, 10% of, of American females have no close friends. 15% of American men have no close friends. And interestingly, um, it, it is an epidemic in our culture that is fanned into flames by this pandemic. 47% um, of Americans have no one to carry on a meaningful conversation with every day. Yeah. So if I want to be effective as a contractor with my clients, I don't want to simply give them, as we spoke about earlier, here's the information, here's the behavior, which is hire me. It's about how can I meet your needs? And this is going to sound a little funny, but I think it's true in any organization. How yeah. can I meet my customers needs a little more holistically than I've ever done. And, and if yeah. I'm doing things like that, I will get hired again and again and again. And from a customer standpoint, that exists from a employee standpoint, same thing. You know, it used to be a um, head down mentality. Here's what you do. You go do it. I don't want to know anything else. Very, yeah. um, Jack Very contractors. Yeah. yeah. And that, that mentality in the workforce really kind of capped out in the 1980s. And the 90s brought about a sense of empowerment um, mm. where Oprah was kind of like, hey, you get a house, you get a house, you get a house. <laughs> and it's kind of that mentality. Howard Schultz, it was said during this period, would go into a Starbucks and and ask one of his frontline employees, where do you think we ought to put the next location? And uh, so very empowering. Yeah. And it swung around today to where people want to be led in a very nurturing sort yeah. of environment. And so part of nurturing is what we've been talking about this whole time, recognizing that my audience is potentially incredibly lonely. And the only social interaction they may have may be swinging a hammer. And so how do I meet that need and still meet the goal of we got to do a great job and I got to make a profit or you're going to be more lonely because you're going to have a job, you're going to be at home. So, yeah. so there's just a tension that exists with that. For sure. But uh, anyway, Chris, that's a really long answer. No, that is so dead on. And we've got to bring it around to... Uh, you know, what people can actually do. But I, I think I told you, I have a, a client in California, runs a, a very large company and he's 66. He's my a little couple of years younger than I am. And one of the things we were talking about was this. He has, a, his, in his words, he said, I'm trying to run and get in front of the new reality when it comes to employees but I find that I'm running alongside and I don't know what I'm doing. And 
The specific thing was he had acquired some companies and through that acquired some employees. And he said their attitude absolutely is the obverse of Jack Kennedy's. Ask not what I can do Jack for the Welch. company. At, no, oh, Jack, John Kennedy. Ask John not Kennedy. what I Jack. can do. Sorry. Yeah. Ask not what I can do for the company. Ask what the company can do for me. And that's so totally uh, a reverse. I didn't know what kind of trended out in the 80s, but I know it's not there now where it was a clear objective. We were supposed to increase the value of the company. What do we need to do that? That didn't preclude having happy employees because wise business leaders have known that forever. You know, Southwest has been along, around since before the 80s, Southwest Airlines. Right. But it was a clear objective. And this man was saying, I don't know how to deal with this. And I looked at him and I said, well, I don't either. We're trying to figure it out. But everything's changed uh, yeah. completely. And the connection part is uh, uh, dealing, thinking of people as being lonely. What, one stat that we talk about in several episodes here is that the number one reason for people leaving a business, employee leaving a business, is unclear expectations. Now, that's the behavioral side, right? I mean, that's data that we're not communicating that well. But this idea of making a connection and actually caring is is a great supplement. And I have one question, and maybe you've answered this, but if you are a caring person and you really do care and you really are interested and you really do want to engage, that's great. You tend to do that. A lot of people I know, that's who they are and that's what they do. Sure. What if you're not? What if you're running a company and just going, just do it, just pour the slab and come back and tell me, can you truly learn all this? Are there exercises? Is there hope? Or are you condemned? That was a long statement in my heart. Yeah. No, I, I, Martin, a couple thoughts. Um, can you learn it? Yeah. Uh, there's a guy I coached with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission who, who basically said, I am fantastic at not listening and getting my answer. And uh, I'm like, man, you know, I'm the president of that club too. Um, and, and so we just worked on really thinking before we speak often, you know, a lot of times if we'll wait 10 seconds before we speak and we ponder a response, 10 yeah. seconds is an eternity in a conversation, <laughs> but, but in an emotional setting, um, in, in an emotional setting, that's a tactic. The other yeah. thing is these, yes, these are skills we can learn. Number two, we need to learn them because people don't want to work anymore. And so I've got to be recognized as an employer who cares. Um, mm -hmm. Gallup says 70% of engagement is related to the frontline um, manager. And thirdly, if if the boss is not that person, you know, really considering hiring a lieutenant that is that kind of guy that is the buffer between himself and the frontline employees that yeah. maybe carries those skills a little bit more. But it, it's a it's a weird day, Martin. I, I'm I'm not quite as old as you, but I have seen this shift and. You know, I was on the phone with a, a guy um, who's a headhunter who's like, nobody wants to work anymore. <laughs> and and uh, so he's like, it's just tough finding employees. And so figuring out that tension of how do I nurture as much as I can without, you know, sitting around and not getting anything done with getting things done and, and cheering my employees along the way. It's a tough tension today. It really is. Yeah, definitely. What uh, I think that kind of brings up a point of like a difference in generations, right? Um, th there's different wants and needs. What What is it? What are some tips you have for just communicating between generations? I know that obviously we need to care and show that care, but what are some just different? I mean, I'm thinking of the older contractor who has these new guys coming in that are on their phones and I usually communicate in person. What are some tips you have? Yeah, I think kind of beginning to 
you know, the, the old adage of, you know, walk a mile in another person's shoes. But mm -hmm. I, I think some honest communication about some rules. Number one, what are we, what are the rules of engagement that exist on the site regarding phones, regarding communication? This is, uh, there's a fabulous tool from an organization called Atlassian. And yeah. Atlassian has a um, fill in the blank PowerPoint or keynote presentation that says my user manual. And yeah. this may be a little bit higher level than the guys that are actually pouring the slab, but, but maybe in a multi-level construction organization where there are a lot of people that run an office um, that the user manual says, these are the ways that I like to be communicated with. I receive correction best here. I'm most productive in my work here. When my door is closed, this is what it means. When my door is open, this is what it means. I respond best to text or instant messaging or email or phone call so that everybody really knows. I know that uh, Janice over here, when she goes her headphones in, it means, man, please don't bother me. I'm really diving into a spreadsheet of costs that I've, I've got to stay focused. So please don't bother me. Yeah. Um, so I, I think a tool like that can help mm -hmm. a larger construction organization and perhaps an adaptation of it for those that aren't kind of computer or electronic based on their typical day-to-day -day job. Um, maybe having that kind of discussion with some people and adapting it to the, to the actual construction site would be a yeah. useful, useful exercise. You know, um, listening to this, I'm having a little bit of a visceral reaction. And I've been around a lot of companies. I've been in business for a long time and I love people. But the thing that you've said that that is kind of true. I mean, I think we're seeing it is people don't want to work anymore. Yeah. Well, my visceral reaction to that is not good. Absolutely. It's not like, oh, I'm going to accommodate you and pander to you because and not because I think because I'm a jerk, but I think that people cannot find fulfillment unless they do. So I, I, I'm just thinking maybe some listeners are thinking like I'm thinking, you don't want to work. Now, you want me to communicate, help, be respectful, uh, be more clear, train, and you want to work? I'm all in. Absolutely. My, my man in California I was talking about who's trying to stay up with the coach, uh, he's really getting confronted with these people who want to know what he's going to do for them rather than the other way around. And it just kind of like my thought is get rid of now, now that's old school and that's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to teach how to communicate and get along. But for me, it starts with somebody who wants to try to help him or herself. And that idea of, I don't want to work. It's like, somebody's got to do the work because we still need food. We still need gas and shelter and clothing and all that and all the digital stuff. I'm hoping that that's not universally true. And I don't think it is. I think there are lots of good people from every generation, but. I just want, I'm just thinking somebody listening to this might be having that same reaction. And it, it's, it's visceral. I mean, it, it, it really bothers me. makes me mad. <laughs> I think it should. I mean, I think it should. And as you said, work is a noble thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a noble activity to, to be in construction, doing anything and, and to build something creates a sense of fulfillment and, and it's creativity and it's beauty. But, you know, when you have a difficult employee, you've really got three choices. You can dismiss them, you can coach them, or they can get counseling. And, and all three of those are very, very appropriate responses. Um, so dismissal is a great thing. Hey, I don't need to drag you. Get in here and let's get some stuff done. Or let's don't, but don't drag me. I mean, I'm finished with you. But I, but I think the people... You know, we've just got to learn nuances rather than dragging people along that don't want to work. Yeah. And I think we're seeing um, a, a shift, unfortunately, Martin, to this, as you shared, what are you going to do for me? 
you know, it's kind of moved from, hey, I'm going to meet you a little bit and try to make things easier for you. And it's continuing to swing around to, you know, what are you really going to do for me? And it's a sad day. It's a sad yeah. day. There's a, there's a great book that doesn't really apply specific to like corporate culture or, or workplace, but uh, it's called When Helping Hurts. And yeah. it's, yeah. it's about um, really foreign aid in countries where we just drop off a bunch of Tom's shoes because we give one for every pair that's sold. And now there's no cobblers in the foreign country and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and it just talks about how people have to have a purpose and they have to work for it and they have to earn it. And I think that becomes the fine line as an employer uh, where you do want to help. Uh, but maybe someone's asking for more help than they actually need that's healthy. Um, and so it's very difficult to, to walk that fine line because at the end of the day, you do want to retain your employees and you need them to do the work. And there's it's a big issue in construction right now. Huge, huge issue. Um, and on that topic, let's move into just kind of retaining employees in a healthy way. What are ways that you feel like people need to be retaining employees and, and things they can do to better retain employees. Yeah. Um, I was reading an article from the CEO of Gallup a couple of weeks ago and um, you know, the research is about employee engagement is, is terrible. It's uh, for people who are true enthusiasts for their company. All right. It's risen to 40%. All right. So that's somebody that's truly engaged, which means now that's the employees you mean are 40 percent engaged, 40 percent, 40 percent are truly in the process, which leaves 60 percent as either actively disengaged, which is they're basically sabotaging things or disengaged. Yeah. To that point, furthermore, 50 percent of your employees are like looking for a new girlfriend. You know, I mean, they're like 50 percent are looking for a new job all the time. So you've got to figure out how do I engage them? And, and there's a bunch of things on that hierarchy. Probably the, the simplest one that comes to mind based on this article is Jim Clifton is the CEO. And he wrote that coaching employees once a week seems to be a vital tool in that. And it doesn't have to be a sit down for an hour thing. It might be, hey, here's the best way to hang this drywall. Let me just show you really well one little nuance. And continuing to coach people at least yeah. once a week um, really shows that the employer wants to develop this person. People yeah. want to grow and improve. And... Uh, that is one way. There's there's a big list from Gallup. Um, there's a big list from from Google. They ran all their algorithms and everything about what makes a great manager. And number yeah. eight out of eight was that they had technical skills. Um, all the rest were related to to having vision, to caring about people outside of work, to speaking the truth, calling a spade a spade, and you know. So so having technical skills is not necessarily the most important part of a manager. They need to have them. But being able to pour into people, coach them, develop them is a really big deal right now. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's so important. And I think going back to what you said earlier in our conversation, for some, of, I know that there's some guys out there listening that are like, I can't be that person. That's not just, just not how I operate. Go and find that person to do that for your team. Uh, see that as your investment in you know, retaining employees rather than just trying to pour more ads into Indeed to try to make sure people come in more. And then it's just a revolving door. Go and find that person that's going to coach, that's going to invest in people uh, so that there is a positive culture there. Um, talking about culture, what is a what is a good culture in today's terms and how would you define that? Why, why is culture important even? Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, if we look at, at three terms, and hopefully I can remember these definitions, but, but habit would be defined as to act, think, and feel without choosing, all right? It, it's, it's a habit that I just do, and, and I, um, 
you know, just do it. Um, discipline would be to act, think, or feel by choosing. And, and we may have a culture which could be defined as unconsciously accepted behavior. All right, yeah. our culture could be defined, it's one definition, as unconsciously yeah. accepted behavior. So uh, we look at our culture and, and we say, man, there's some things that are habitual in my culture that are fantastic. Let's capitalize yeah. on those. And then there's some other things in a culture that require discipline. And that is to act, think, or feel by choosing. And for me, it's that U-turn to go around with my toes and my torso, for example, often. Right. Or um, it is, you know, I, I'm, I'm a people pleaser by nature. So having difficult conversations when they need to happen. And those are mm -hmm. disciplined choices for, for a guy like me that struggles um, with distraction and wanting everybody to be happy. So, so every manager has some things that they do really well. And then there's some things that are disciplined that they have to choose to do to make their culture better. And, and the best way to find that out, frankly, is just ask their employees and, and yeah. ask for an honest assessment. And, and then there's some things that, to, to your point, Martin, that are, you know, that's nonsense. I, I mean, we got to make hay while the sun shines. And I'm not going to provide this, but but the things that fit within the arc of, hey, this is great and normal, then I'll try to do a better job of it. And we're all works in process and we're all failing. And yeah. the only way that I'm really good as a manager and leader is if I've got other people around me that kind of take up the slack where I stink. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think... So so much of what you said is true. And I think people don't realize it. I think, especially in, in the regard of retaining employees, they think about, man, I can't afford to lose this person. I'm going to blow off that poor comment they made to the other employee. I'm going to blow off that they kind of left their trash on the job side and everybody else is required to pick it up. Or, And I think it's what's important to recognize with culture is I know that you've got business goals to retain employees and you think that you can't afford to dismiss someone or correct them because they might leave. But the reality is you, what you don't do and what you allow has a greater impact on your culture than what you're actually intentional about usually. And by you allowing those behaviors to happen, the other employees recognize it and you're probably not going to retain them if you keep allowing it. And so culture is so crucial to retaining employees. And I think that a lot of, construction companies struggle to emphasize culture because they are spread across. They do work with subs who are kind of a part of their team, but not really. And so there's these, all these fine lines to walk and it, it's very challenging. Um, what I want to hop in if I can right there. Yeah, absolutely. In every relationship, there, there's a tension between grace and truth. Hmm. And, and truth is, People appreciate honest correction more than flattery. That's an ancient yeah, proverb yeah. Um, that people want to be corrected. And if I do it gracefully, if I correct people with grace as opposed to yell and throw a, you know, a two by four at them, then it, it really, they appreciate that. And, yeah. and on the other end, I, I do want to balance the fact that I'm, I'm going to be kind with my words and patient and et cetera. But it's, a, it's an ever-present tension, tightrope of how do I balance grace with truth? And when I do, I'm a great leader. And nobody's perfect at it. But those are the two things that we're always balancing. Yeah. Man, that's really good to think about. Really, really good. Um you know, you talk about grace and even just investing and in coaching in these employees. And I think especially in, you know, today's cancel culture society, a lot of times um, it becomes difficult because then you start to develop relationships with employees. Uh, and obviously there's, you know, gender issues there if you're developing relationships across gender lines. But then even the difficulties of letting someone go in dismissal when you do have a relationship with them. What do you feel like is the appropriate level of relationships with an employee these days? If you're going to be meeting with them weekly, if you're going to be, you know, gracefully correcting them, you know, what, what does that look like and what's appropriate? 
Mm. Yeah, I, I'm going to approach it from a pretty conservative standpoint, which I do. I, I, sure. um, I was taught never to meet alone with somebody of the opposite sex. And so I, I know Vice President Spence got a lot of uh, flack, you know, flack uh, about that statement. I, I think it's safe. I think it's brilliant. And I think it yeah. is a um, potential career saver. So yeah. um, especially in today's day and age where somebody may say, you did this and that's not what I did and that's not what I said and that, you know. So from that standpoint, yes. Um I think you still coach across gender and but um, I, I think you need to do it safely across gender to where you're not accused of different things. Sure. And as well, um, I think that uh, man, you mentioned something that struck a chord in me and I I uh, can't remember. Oh, how close yeah. do we get to people? Yeah. How close do we get? There's a there's a researcher out of the University of Houston named Brene Brown, who has um, some viral yeah, TED super popular. Yeah, she's super popular. And, and she says this. She says that vulnerability is the birthplace of belonging, creativity and love. And that's a pretty strong word, love for a construction site. But but just <laughs> just familial is kind of kind of what I mean and, and belonging. So, so I think we become, if the line in front of me is the free throw line of vulnerability, I, I tow that line as far as I'm comfortable. And, and my free throw line may be different than other people's, but, but I tow it as far as I can. And how, I, how do you mean that you're vulnerable? Would you, what do you mean by that? That you admit that you don't know that you admit, I mean, what does that mean? Yeah, um, it, it does. And, and Martin, we, I'm going to rabbit trail for a second, come back. But the reason that we like people like Spider-Man is because in, you know, he's out saving people and doing incredible things, but in real life, he's a dork and we can relate to that because we see his humanness. And if I carry myself as I've got everything together, and I don't ever get it wrong. And, you know, just watch me and I'm perfect. Our employees will be completely put off by that. Anybody would be. Mm -hmm. But if I am vulnerable and I come and I toe the line of vulnerability and say, you know what? I really don't know what to do. Um, I'm yeah. not sure. What do you guys think? When I get people's opinions about work and my staff's opinions about work, then I create an approachability to me that creates greater connection. And I would rather create connection and then have to break it if I have to fire them and keep everybody at arm's length and yeah. uh, be safe. Boy, that, yeah. that is something right there. I've had it uh, personally. I've had it uh, with members in my family and I have it with clients that they hired friends. Right. And they always say, well, you just can't hire a friend. I said, well, you can, but you got to be able to do some things that are unpalatable. Right. But yeah. Yeah. That that's where you got to be tough enough to make that decision when you brought yeah. somebody in. I yeah. had a, a friend who's 77, 83, actually, and he's just just brilliant. And he gives this anecdote and in his coaching, he does it. And I, I think it's beautiful. He says, okay, and this is a, a, a slice of vulnerability, but he gathers his team and he says, hey, we got a decision to make about X, Y, and Z. What do you think? And so he asks these employees one by one and, and they yeah. give their opinion. And uh, he takes their opinion and he doesn't necessarily have to keep it, but he gets their opinion. And they recognize, wow, you know, the boss is interested in me. And then he comes yeah. back a second time and says, you know, I know when I asked you that, I kind of asked you on the spur of the moment, you might not have had a lot of time to think about it. What, you know, what other thoughts have come to mind about that since we first addressed that? And so they give you a little bit more thought. 
and you're building a little bit of trust. Mm. And when you begin to build a little bit of relationship and a little bit of trust, you begin to build a little bit of more productivity. And so you might even go back a third time and say, you know, do you have any more thoughts about that? And as you build relationship, you build trust, which ultimately produces greater productivity. So yeah. if we carry ourselves in a, in a humble fashion that says, hey, I'm, I'm just like you. I don't know everything. I happen to be the boss, but man, let's do this together. I, I think we're in a lot better state with today's communication environment than we are with, I got it all together. You go do this and shut up and, and tell yeah. Well, I think, I think it's difficult because, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of contractors have their guard up. A lot of the employees that work on construction sites have those guards up. But I think if you're able to build that, it absolutely is a differentiator because you're going to find people that want to stay because they feel valued. They feel like they have a spot at the table and that they're, they're valued uh, ultimately. So I think uh, one thing that I did want to talk about that we mentioned here is you, know, you, you talked about constructive feedback with um, the grace and truth, right? Uh, analogy. And I think something that I'd like to ask on that is what about people that handle things differently? Like, you know, I know that as a coach, a uh, soccer coach, I can say, I can say one thing to somebody with grace, right? But if I say it to the next guy, he's not going to change at all. And if I go 100% truth on him, he's going to whip in shape and he's going to know exactly what's going on and it's going to be great. Um, and so how do you balance that line of like understanding each person and what they need? I know you, we can go back to maybe that Atlassian document of what's best for them, but how can you gauge that even just on a relational level? Right. And communication, all great communication starts with a question internally that says, who's my audience? And so right. you're really wise, Khalil, to say, I recognize that I can sort of just throw a glance at one of my soccer players and they'll shape up and, and get in position right. and quit around at practice. But another one, I might have to raise my voice a little bit. I might have to to communicate more strongly in right. order to get them to shape up. So it, it becomes a situation where not only am I a great technician yeah. in my construction, but I'm a studier of my employees that recognizes mm -hmm. if I was a shepherd, I recognize this sheep behaves this way and this one is yeah. completely different. So a great shepherd knows his sheep and a great construction foreman knows the difference between all of his employees and how I communicate with them and what their yeah. needs are. And that takes time um, and understanding and being a great listener, frankly. Mm. Yeah, that's something we haven't talked about yet. And I actually was thinking about is Communication is more about listening oftentimes, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Stephen Covey said, most of us listen, and I just did a great job of it because I cut you off. Most of us <laughs> no, listen. No, no, no. I was, yeah, go ahead. It was for an example. <laughs> we recognize that. <laughs> yes, that's right. Most of us listen with the intent to reply than the intent to understand. Mm. And uh, I am exhibit a of, of that. <laughs> so um you know we we can't wait to spout about how much we know and how smart we are as opposed mm -hmm. to really understanding the message yeah, yeah. he says uh, seek first to understand then to be understood which is really powerful but you know everything you're talking about for our listeners there's a lot of work involved Man, I prefer what another visceral thing, probably because of my age and what I read and things that are going on. But your lady who wrote the book uh, and her uh, charisma, myth, charisma myth. Yeah. Power, warmth and presence. I sort of recoiled at the at the word power because that is 
so fraught with connotation nowadays and it's it's all bad <laughs> and i'm surprised i'm wondering when she wrote that book that she's that word you know maybe uh, authority or something but yeah, yeah uh, it, i want to revert to power all the time just right do it i mean i don't know that i always do if somebody's trying and i have this empathetic urge to help them i mean i i crave to help somebody who wants to help themselves I see it seriously, as I said before, I really bothers me if you think I owe you something or that you're, or that you don't have to work. But that idea of listening and understanding, that's a lot of work. And basically the bottom message is you got to do it, right? Yeah. Even if you're like me and maybe don't like it, you got to do it. Yeah. I think with that, I mean, there, there is a lot of work there, but you go back to this, this power thought. And I think there's, I think it's Simon Sinek who talks about this actually, but there's authority there's power and authority and there's power in leadership and authority is given. It's a title. You, you assume it and it's just there, but the leadership aspect is earned and it is a lot of work to have the power of a leader. The, the power of the authority is, yeah, you're fired or no, go do it, right? Um, or, you know, we're not promoting you, whatever it is. But the power of the leader is like, I need your help and full buy-in on getting that help of taking ownership of the, this area of the business because I can't handle it, right? Or coaching that person and helping them set up for success and actually being invested as an employee in doing that because the leader is asking me to do it, not because it was authoritatively given, right? So definitely something that this is a lot of work, but if you have that power of leadership rather than just the power of authority, you can really lead an incredible organization and have a huge impact to your retention of employees, to your bottom line, to your productivity, to your efficiency. So, um, but with all that work, right, what do you think is probably the best thing for people to take action? Obviously they can read and learn as a skill, but and we have this toes and torso, which is a really good thing. What are some other actions and maybe the most important actions that you would recommend people start with, Chris? Wow. Um, I'm going to take a step back uh, okay. even deeper. But, you know, from the overflow of our heart, our mouth mm. speaks. All right. So I, I think you hit it really well, Khalil, is that um, the way I interact as a leader is really kind of coming from who I am as a person. Yeah. And one of the things to be able to be able to communicate with grace and truth is that I've got to be stable myself. Absolutely. So if I'm unhealthy physically, I've got to expend energy taking care of me. If I'm not getting enough sleep, I've got to expend energy just to, to hold it together. If I'm not in good community with friends, we're wired to be in community with people that tell us grace and truth. If I'm yeah. not in great community of people that are telling me those things, um, if I'm not spiritually in tune, if, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things create a health with inside me that allows me to have the stability, to have the mobility to reach out and care for others. Yeah. If I have no stability personally, my mobility is limited because I'm having to care for myself in order to be stable. And, and so I think um, you know, physically taking care of myself, uh, understanding um, uh, the need for great relationship, understanding God's great love for us, understanding um, the need to get enough sleep at night and eat well and, and filter what comes in. If I watch eight hours of depressing news every night when I get home from work, I mean, you know, so all those things matter for my ability yeah. to be a caregiver to others. It's a little bit yeah. like I put the mask on myself first in the airplane and then I can care for other people. That's great. I, that is a great place to start, honestly, because 
I mean, Martin, how many business owners do you know that are lonely, that are stressed out, that are just... I, I uh, started some new clients last night and they came in and all, all the symptoms of stress, they're growing, all the stress, you know, the, I think Khalil said it, but our phrase for this uh, podcast is less stress, more time, more money. More time is um, contributes to less stress, but it means family and all these kinds of things. It's almost universal. Yeah. And after I get to know people, that it starts to come out. And these people last night uh, were not in tears. I, I have a lot of tears. I'm that bad of a coach. I get a lot of people crying in my conference room. <laughs> but when you finally get close and touch what's really bothering them, and it goes back to put your mask on, we have to correct these things, this stress, the strain, and, and uh, the panic and the chaos and the question, I don't know where to go, which way to go, you know. Um, it's it's universal. So if that if that helps any listeners, and and you think tough guys, and we have a lot of tough guys, or at least look the part, you know, <laughs> oh, they can't be doubting themselves or, or questioning. But when you get to know them and we have a lot of conversations, oh, yeah, it's the same as everybody else. They have a facade. So yeah. I agree with you if, you. if you can take the time to correct yourself or at least look and, and remove sequentially the things that maybe it's a one thing you get off your plate that gives you a little more time. And then another thing, pretty soon you got a chunk of time and you can improve yourself and improve your business, improve your communications. But that self introspection of I need to fix me yeah. is, is a big part of it. Absolutely. Well, man, this has been such a great conversation. Um, that I've really enjoyed. And I think it is hopefully helpful to a lot of people out there and opening up their understanding of things, uh, giving them a new awareness. If they want to get even more aware of this type of stuff, how can they get in contact with you? What resources can they uh, look at that you have out there for them? Yeah. Um, Chris at chrisservice.com is, is uh, an email. Um, chrisservice dot com has some resources a few articles there's a book i've written on uh difficult conversations um, oh, okay most of the coaching things that i do are related to uh interpersonal or presentation coaching how do i present myself well mm. interpersonally or in front of an audience and so yeah. those are those are some resources uh that Great. might be useful and I'd be happy to, to be helpful as I can. So. Awesome. Well, we will definitely link to those things in the show notes for everyone. Um, and yeah, I, I think this has been a great conversation and we'll probably have to come, have you come on again sometime, Chris, and maybe in uh, person too. Uh, I'd love to meet you in person. I'd be honored. It's awesome. been fun. You guys are, are great question askers. So thanks for <laughs> letting me uh, speak and yeah. share you know, the things that are on my heart. So I appreciate you asking. Absolutely. Thanks for being in the hot seat for us. Uh, make, right. Makes it easier on us. We don't have to answer the questions. So thanks. Chris. All right. Well, well, we'll talk to you again soon, Chris. Thanks for being on the Cashflow Contractor. All right. Thank you, guys. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.